the Scene World Podcast. Uh, I'm AJ, sitting across the desk from me at a current distance of 239,000 miles away is Jorg. Um, now, last month we talked to Matt and Sven from Cinemaware, and at the time that we talked to them, they were just about to launch a Kickstarter campaign for uh, Rocket Ranger Reloaded. Now, at the time that we're recording this right now, there are uh, about seven days left in the campaign, and they are currently uh, around 80% of the way to their goal. So if you've been thinking about donating, if you've been sitting on the fence about about backing this project, well, now's the time to get off the fence and actually put something towards this. Because these guys have really been working super hard to get this done and, and made. In fact, they were also with a booth on the um, retro Börse, which means um, a retro fair in Mannheim last weekend, and it was huge. I mean, the location was so stuffed, it was intense. It was like you had no space to walk around, and there were a lot of traders. And the very positive thing about this event was that they showed um, Rocket Ranger, the first Kickstarter um, demo you could play. So there was the first playable demo that um, was so good that I was like going to their booth and playing on this on this machine like three times in a row. So uh, not only three times in a row, but I was going there again and again because the game is so great. And what what most people probably don't know is that since they did this Rocket Ranger campaign, the Rocket Ranger Reloaded campaign, they they even have a show on Twitch, which is twitch.com slash cinemawaretv. And there they have a live show, which was in past on a Sunday at 11 p.m. German time or 10 p.m. Um, UK time or 5 p.m. New York city time but this this time it's on a wednesday so tomorrow and by the time you're listening to this you will find a recording on our podcast page for this show episode because um, i will also be a guest telling the viewers about my opinions regarding the game and we got the permission from, from CinemaWare to actually record the stream, the live stream, and put it on our homepage. So that's, so, that's very cool. Yeah. So, and also to take into account um, the history of CinemaWare and that they are really striving to make good games. And actually, I played Wings, and it was very, very good. So I think they deserve the chance to come up with um, Rocket um, with Rocket Ranger Reloaded because it's a very good, very good game. Absolutely, and we'll again have a, a link to their uh, Kickstarter page in the podcast description so that mm. if you, again, there's only a few days left to this, and they are getting close to their to their goal, but they could use all the help they can get. So any anyone that was considering donating but maybe weren't sure about it you should definitely do that now and the good thing here is it will even work on a mac 
That's right. So they promised something... us. They promised yeah. us a Mac version and a PC version. So, so we've got high hopes for this. There's no reason for for not donating it. I mean, there are different packages like code only access to preview or an Amiga limited cardboard box i believe i don't know what material they use or if they're plastic but actually it's a limited edition box they say it's an amiga box whatever amiga games looked like in the past because i never had an amiga but even even though if you only have little money think about your friends get a two coats um, pledge <laughs> <laughs> reward and make some friends happy. So, absolutely, there are even packages with two codes. And if you listen to our last podcast show, you were, you you were hearing that AJ was very happy that they will support the Mac officially. Yes, and hopefully by the time we record this, AJ already did his pledge to the campaign. Oh, uh, I I promise I will do that as soon as we are off the air. I surely did mine. I will get this limited Amiga box thing because I like to have things in the package. Like, but, only, but only if everybody else gets off their butt and donates can you get his limited edition box. Yes, exactly. Because Otherwise, we get nothing. <laughs> so, so everyone go and contribute. Yes, and if you want to, if you want to have some background... Go and listen to the other podcast show that we did, the one with Cinemaware. And it was very successful, we should say. We looked at the statistics and we had 200 visits on the page and tons of subscribers and 200 visitors per day since we released the podcast. It's no joke. We had our um, webmaster, Chris look at the statistics that we run and it was very successful. It's amazing. This time there was no reaction by email that we received, but there were a lot of comments on our YouTube videos from people. So, looks like the Cinemaware podcast even drove some people to the interview videos. And I don't want I don't want to spoil the surprise, but for the next year, we already got a confirmation for our next interview guests, and this will be totally amazing. And hopefully, this will blow you away as much as it blows away AJ and me. His reaction was, "Oh my God, <laughs> dude, we 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 get, we are getting them mm-hmm. for the podcast." And yes, we will if they don't decide. Uh, different yeah, before, but I don't, don't think. Stand us up at the prom. Uh, no, it's also in their interest to be our guests. Right. <laughs> that famous we already know we are yeah, not famous, yeah. but, but we are doing our best. Um, so let's uh, let's turn over to some, uh, some less pleasant news. Uh, recently, Ralph Baer, who was kind of a, really a pioneer, the, the, the father of, of video games, he was the inventor of the Magnavox Odyssey, the first video game console, uh, and he's done lots of things since. I mean, the guy is, is he was, Jorg interviewed him uh, a year ago, was that? Yes, I interviewed him, <laughs> I interviewed him last 
year in the summer and we released it together with our January issue. Mm-hmm. He was 91 at the time and still still spry and still answering questions, but he just he passed away the other day. Unfortunately, yes. Uh, the interview that we did with him is available. Uh, we'll, we'll link to it in the description, but it's also in sceneworld.org slash interviews. Um, it's a long Skype interview that York did with him. One hour. So, yeah. So we are very, uh, we're very saddened to, to hear about the loss of one of the real pioneers of this industry. Speaking well, of sure. pioneers, speaking of pioneers, did you know that South America had a scene? Well, I knew it because of, of course actually, you knew it. <laughs> I knew it because I was spending three weeks with the guy we we interviewed and his friends in Lima, Peru last year. In fact, one of and, one of the friends, uh, Victor, is one of our staff members at the magazine. Yes, he he did graphics for the magazine for our beautiful intros. And he said he will do more graphics for us in the future. So there is still there are still some people who are active working. Yeah. So, and so I'm very happy that we got that we got a Peruvian guy among our staff. Yeah, yeah. For and, for and, for ten years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then and and so there is apparently a a scene in South America and in Peru specifically. And our guest tonight is. Um, Speaking of pioneers, is one of the the pioneers and the the people that were really responsible for getting that scene moving and and was really part of it from the very beginning. Uh, his his handle in the scene was Mister Bite. His real name is Lobsang Alvitas. And uh, there is there is um, a scene in in Latin America. This is known because we had. Um, an article about the Treen C64. So Treen, not, not, not dream. green. No, Treen. Not dream or green. D-R-E-A-N. And this was a clone of C64 in Argentina. So browse our past issues and read the article about uh, the Commodore 64 scene and user groups in Argentina. But Peru, there was not much known of. So, no. and as we found out during the 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 well, the chat with Lapsang, he even well paved the way of internet introduction in Peru. Right. It was, so, and and as we find out in in the interview, which we've already done, we're doing the intro after we've actually done the interview. Um, as we found out, Peru was really a very it the the way it it developed was very different from a lot of other scenes in some ways in that they actually um cracked games would be advertised in newspaper which is not something that happens really anywhere else because uh the regulations just didn't exist at the time there and so it's really kind of a a real different take on the whole uh, computer scene and uh, uh, subculture that that everybody else has. It's it's nothing like North America or Europe or anything else. Exactly. So, I hope this will be very interesting for you guys. Um, we are very happy that we have him. Well, why don't we just get uh, right into it? Because 
Lob Sang Alvites, Mr. Bite, is uh, is waiting right here in, in the past. Hello, AJ. So, y- you were in South America, and I think that a lot of people probably don't even realize that there there is kind of a scene in South America. Um, I think a lot of Americans and, and Europeans kind of consider it this far-off place where where nothing really really happens like that. So I guess um, I, I guess we should start off by just kind of in a, in a nutshell breaking down the history of the scene and, and how this all started and how how this really got got you know working. In the early 18s, there was a little scene, mainly formed by early users with uh, modem, and uh, there were there were about uh, two or three bulletin board service, and. Uh, Mostly were Commodore 64 users, as also Atari, Apple, and few PC users. There were no, uh, no much interest for programming in the 64 scene because the people was using their computers mostly for gaming or as a tool for for their school uh, works. Right, right, yeah. When I came to Lima, Peru, in 1986. After a few months, I bought a modem. I registered it in a BBS called Blitz, and I I have contacts with some users. Then I knew after after I came to to Lima, Peru, I I already have a, a, an idea of how was the scene in the in Europe because I was living in in Italy from seventy eight to eighty six. And I realized that here in uh, in Lima, the users were mainly using their computers for for gaming and school works. And I I talked with a friend called John Ore. His nickname is uh, TMB. And uh, I proposed him to set up a group to promote programming, doing graphics, and maybe uh, doing some music to get an active scene. And one of the main, or the key people here in Lima was a guy called uh, Luigi Bacigalupo. His nickname was Satan. And uh, he was cracking uh, some games from uh, originals. And he was cracking this game to reprotect them with a custom protection he developed. Uh, so he could sell more copies of the game with his own custom copier. We, of course, we disagreed with it, with that uh, with that, <laughs> so you you aim more towards the uh, the the legal yeah, so we side. Were, yeah, we we of course we we knew that uh, the copyright and the game, of course, is uh, a lot of efforts from companies. But uh, it was just for for fun, maybe to to crack, to spread not to spread the the games, but to make money, cracking and reprotecting games. It was uh, no sense for, mm. for and. Uh, and the worst thing is that I remember there were games already cracked from a European group, and uh, <laughs> these games were a game being reprotected with his uh, custom protection. No? So we started our first activity for my group was cracking these games reprotected from Satan. I remember the first game was Operation Wolf uh, from Taito. We, we cracked the game. And uh, spread it freely, so so people could uh, copy it. Now, uh, I see. Okay. Now, the the it's it's a uh, a bit complex to to explain because here in Peru, 
it, it was a very little community of users, no? about maybe 200, 300 of uh, users. And most of the software was imported from some people from Chile or United States, and uh, they sold the games to the users. It, uh, each on each weekend on Sunday, they put announcements in the newspaper, in local newspaper, to announce new games they imported and they sold them. That's why they tried to reprotect the games, so they called uh, make more sales. And we were against that, so th we began to 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 unprotect the games. And uh, this little community started to evolve like a little scene because there were some people that acted like importers and we began to to code intros so the people could recognize uh, which games were released by my group and uh, we also put uh, announcements in newspapers no uh, little announcements when we released the uncracked a cracked game so it sounds like kind of it was a like almost a microcosm of uh of the of the major PAL scene, because that started a lot the same way with uh, cracking games, and then people started coding intros on top of it, and that kind of turned into a whole different demo scene. But it sounds like you were yes. kind of a key player in all this, you know, getting people to, uh, you know, together originally because of your influence with the European scene. Yeah, well, we, sh we should take into account that you came from Italy, and you told me you also lived in Canada for a while. Yes. So yeah, you, you brought a lot of experience from other countries and tried to shift it to the community in Peru. Yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, ah, okay. That's like mentality, you know, a, a different point of view, which helped me uh, a new way to, to use and, and uh, see how the scene, the, a community, you know, a computer community, Called evolve. I try. I try to promote this uh, in uh, with other users, and it worked because it was a huge impact when when people began to spread the word that hey, there is a strange group in in Lima that have a name, Trinigos Group, and they are cracking games, and uh, they are also uh, recracking reprotected games from Satan, and and the people uh, here they knew who was uh, Satan and also uh, Rumble Games. Rumble Games was a, a seller no, of video games. We began to to make lose money to them, and uh, and 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 this, of course, had a reaction. So we we began to have some enemies, and of course, other people that called us like we were the Robin Hoods of the scene. No, wow. we were we were giving them uh, software. That originally was already cracked, no? And uh, oh well. But the point is that one of the most important things is that users began to show these intros, and they took interest for the first time to see what is an intro, because almost all people just pressed the key space and uh, went directly to to play the game. No one took interest to read the scroll text, and neither they knew who was those people, those groups, no? Behind the intros. But when they saw that there was an intro with Spanish text, sending greetings to local people, they began to read all this. And in few months, there was a lot of rumors and uh, news spreading in the in the local scene. And so, you said you so, took out ads and the you put out ads in the local papers with that too. The the only way 
to to promote to spread news it was to put ads on uh, on sunday in the newspapers especially in the main newspaper called el comercio so all all these people that sold video games uh, or, or also hardware they all put ads and uh, and we also put them to announce new releases as an example when we cracked the the, the first game of version wolf we put an ad uh, stating that so people called to our phone and they come to our house with floppy disk to copy the game freely so so you actually promoted that you were that you were copying games in the newspapers that's because in peru at that time there was no government agency that uh, that would go after you yes and uh, copyrights were also not respected in in uh, any kind of level no so uh, there were only copyright for industrial de development but not for uh, software development so it was very inf an informal thing but well uh, it it was very interesting because that way of communication through newspapers no putting ads was a primitive uh, way but very effective all people here was pending of the ads or the, the on the next sunday no and by the way after some months we realized that the community was uh, increasing of users and uh, we needed a way for a better communication that's how we released uh, our this magazine smiling panda and the interesting thing about the smiling panda is actually that the first three issues were in spanish only but the issues after were actually in english and in spanish and at the beginning you would ask you would be asked like would you like to see the English version or the Spanish version? So I wonder why did you actually do all the work in English too? When we re released the first issues of Smiling Panda, of course it was in Spanish because uh, the target was local, no? it was local community. Uh, also it was a first attempt to organize, but for, for that time we already had contacts with other uh, groups in Europe. No? Uh, we had already a lot of contacts no? with, with Mao of Fantastic Four Cracking Group, with Danny of The Force, also with Junior Predator of The Blasters in Spain, and, and many, many of uh, other guys. And we were trading, no? we were trading uh, software. And, uh, and then I realized that uh, we already have this, this magazine, uh, Smalling Panda, and it will be very interesting for other people no? in other countries to know more about the Latin American scene. And that's why the fifth issue of Malin Panda had an option to choose between English and Spanish language. And of course, to support also PAL video system, because uh, here uh, we use NTSC. That's actually it an interesting us... question, too, because there's... Um... There really seems to be a cultural difference between the PAL and NTSC scenes that is uh, independent of where you actually live. You know, it's more of a, a frame of mind. And I've always felt like the NTSC scene was kind of marginalized in that it was always a few years behind where the, the PAL scene was. So <laughs> despite yeah. the fact that you're actually an NTSC uh, area, do you identify more with the NTSC scene or more with the PAL scene? I, I feel more part of the Pulse scene. So it sounds uh, like you were in a, an extension of the European scene in some way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Talking about this uh, video system, we soon realized that uh, there were 
of course, problems. When we imported software from Europe, many of the games uh, just didn't work because of the video system. So I learned to fix to NTSC timings. I remember our type when we received it, it was running only on PAL computers and uh, I fixed it to NTSC and released it. Luckily, I still owned my my Commodore 64 PAL version I bought in from Italy. That's uh, that's uh, helping me no? to, to make these fixes. No? It's uh it's it's very cool because like 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 I said before, South America has always seemed to me, and I would imagine to a lot of other guys, like something of an exotic, far off area where you you might think of something like alpacas, but not really of a computer scene. And that that goes for a lot of places too. I mean, I, I know that Japan is NTSC, and there was a Commodore in Japan, but you never really hear about any Japanese demo groups, even though I'm sure they must exist. But um, the way that this all started. Uh, was also interesting because it was completely devoid of any regulation and you could actually crack these games right out in the open. Uh, and, and you seem kind of like a key player through all this, having brought your experiences from the European scene and, and, and I don't know how involved you were in the NTSC scene while you were in Canada. But but wh- where were you when you were in Canada? Uh, I was in Toronto. Oh, Toronto. Woo. Yes. But, but, Good town. Yes, but uh, when I was a child... So as I remember it, it was more from like a community scene with mm-hmm. many of user groups, but right. not uh, not coding groups like in Europe. That was what I told here also to the people. Uh, and I think that that was lar- that's largely uh, it was true in the beginning. We had uh, yeah in Europe they tended to do more of the groundbreaking stuff, you know, making new routines and and coding these fantastic demos and really kind of laying the groundwork. And here it was more of a Sort of almost an institutionalized thing where you'd have your little user groups that would get together and just kind of trade some discs or talk about things that they happened to be doing. But no one was really, um, we, we always lagged behind. And I, and I still feel to, to currently to a certain extent that we, that NTSC is kind of seen as, um, a few years behind the PAL scene. So I think that that's actually kind of a, an accurate, you know, description that we're mo- that we were user group based back then, where whereas you know, PAL was more, uh, more kind of covertly, you know, cracking and and this and that. We didn't really do that here. Yeah. For for I mean, we did, but it wasn't really you know, it wasn't prevalent until probably the mid '80s. You know, a couple of years behind PAL. Yes. What 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 would interest me actually is. Um, how did it start that Commodore 64 involved? Because there was not official an import. I, I only know about Argentina that had this Treen C64 clones. What? They were green? But Treen. D-R-E-A-N. We oh, actually, we I... actually, we actually had, <laughs> we actually had an, no, no, Treen. <laughs> like Treen, but with an, with an N at the right, end. Right, right. It was, okay. um, it was, a C64 clone, and actually we I had. It might have been cooler if it was green. No, no green. <laughs> and actually, we we had a report about that in one of our early scene world issues. We had an article about the South American scene, and it was about Argent- Argentina, and we were talking about the Treen C64. So, Love saying, my question is, 
how did the C64 import in Peru? Because there was no official channel from yeah, Commodore. How did you actually get your machines? There were no official non-Commodore porters here in Peru. So uh, some people uh, actually saw, uh, imp imported from North America and uh, sold them here. Uh, sometimes they were refurbished machines no? or also new, no, new machines. Uh, the price were uh, higher than in North America. No? But uh, anyway, the people uh, uh, bought it. Uh, also, many times the, the parents, when they travel to other countries, they, they bring back some computers, no? so they could sell them to other people. But uh, my computer, the first Commodore 64, I bought it in Italy. Then I bought a Commodore 128 and then two more Commodore 64. One of the Commodore 64 was used for my bulletin board service. Uh, it was online 24 hours uh, for four years. Wonderful. So and how did the were... BBS scene, you know, because, uh, you know, you mentioned that you, you took out ads in the newspapers because that was really the only way to uh, to communicate with people back then to really get this stuff out. But later on, I'm... I'm sure that BBS has probably kind of uh, took over that role as they as they did here. I mean, I don't, we didn't really, uh, I don't think, I don't know about the policy, but I don't think the NTSC never openly advertised because, you know, that just invites Navy SEALs crashing through your windows. But, <laughs> but you know, the, the BBSs did take take uh, precedence in that, in that they started to, uh, that's really where you'd, Put the releases. That's where people would kind of gather to talk about this stuff. So, okay, I, I will talk about about the early bulletin board system, no, seen mm -hmm. here in, in Peru. It was very interesting community. Early bulletin board service, as I remember, the first one was uh, RBBS Roosevelt BBS from the College Roosevelt. It was running on uh, an Apple. Then there was the, there was a Blitz BBS. Blitz was running on a Commodore 64, and uh, his CSOP was uh, Green Byte. Uh, I am talking of the years uh, uh, 80, 84, 85. Uh, other BBS also uh, was uh, TN BBS, Terrible Nightmares. No. Sorry, sorry. What a wonderful name. Yeah, I, I, I have it's, those all the time. <laughs> And and uh, TBS BBS, that BBS ran on an Atari 113, and his CSOP was uh, Bull, no? Javier Jainer, and Tron and Ram. There were three CSOPs, and they promoted the first meetings no? of uh, modem users. No? I remember the first meeting was at a place in Miraflores, no? and in Lima, and assisted about uh, 13 users. The telecom community was no more than 100 of users. It was very little community. And we were the very first users with modem in Peru. I also remember that uh, Bull made a t-shirt saying Lima Modem Club. And it was a, a gift for all the users of, the, of his uh, bulletin board service. The, the interesting thing is that many of these uh, bulletin boards uh, service were 
not uh, running with bulletin board construction kits, no software to do this. Uh, they were coded by the the system operators. No? They were coded in BASIC as also in uh, some routines in, in Assembler. For example, my BBS, the first BBS I put online, the hackers BBS in 1988, I programmed it in BASIC and compiled it with the Blitz compiler. No? But but the main routine for the X modem transfer, I found a paper no, about the protocol and coded it in Assembler. No? And, wow. uh, and it was online one uh, one year. Wow! One day. So you actually made your own software? Yeah, uh, all all the BBS we used was always coded by me, as also other bulletin boards. Uh, for example, Blitz was also custom coded by Greenbyte. Uh, Phoenix BBS. Wow. Also was coded by Satan. Satan was uh, the seed of, of uh, Phoenix BBS, and uh, Emilio Leroux was also seed of Phoenix BBS, and they coded. Uh, I, I think that in my floppy disk, I, I still have uh, the code of all the, of many of these BBS, because we sometimes exchange the, the, the source code to see how we coded, no? Some routines. Uh, to get new ideas. Um, that's that's, a, that's impressive, and you should really kind of. I think you should do something with that. You know, put that up on uh, CSDB or, or or something because I mean I think that should really. That's I, I mean to have you know the 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 operator of a specific BBS actually design and code the software from scratch for their own things is is very rare, and that should really kind of be. You know, recognized uh, yeah, uh, along with you know CBase and and UCBBS and all the other major ones that were used because it's it's I think that's even you know those other you know the main you know those mainstream you know CBase has been modified yeah. by a thousand different people but I mean that's so I mean but but the one that you, that you guys were using you know those those systems were you know one person you know busted their butt and actually like designed this thing from scratch and that's like yeah, that's uh, super uh, uh, impressive. And that and that was interesting also because we were young, no? We were childs, no? We have we had uh, fourteen, fifteen years old, no? And uh, we were uh, very interested in 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 learning the program. And uh, there was also a problem because there were uh, very few books and magazines uh, with technical information to code, and. Uh, the only books we we had were always uh, bought from uh, other countries, no. Um, anyway, with lots of research and and try, no, and, and uh, we managed to to program the serial port of the Commodore, uh, also to use uh, the record system in the in the in the drives to to store each message, no. Uh, I I remember there were magazines. Computer magazines in Peru, like uh, Computron, uh, they have a section to learn programming, programming for each computer. No, uh, some basic routines for also Apple, Atari, and Commodore. And in one of the issues, Greenbyte, uh, he explained it how to code the serial port, the Commodore 64. Wow. And uh, so it was okay. It was a, a a little community, but it was very close, no, to each us. So we tried to support, no, 
That's interesting. So actually, the the professional magazines, the professional computer magazines in Peru, were picking up on the um, unofficial um, scene that you created, and actually published your articles on coding and other stuff like that. Yes. Wow. Oh, right. So you had a that's big right. influence there. Yeah, it's yeah, a lot so, more than the demo scenes yeah. and everything here in uh, North America, at least. It's, it's really kind of impressive that you were the the scenes were so um, kind of intermingled. You know, there was the mainstream and the the underground, as it might be called, were sort of the same thing. And and such a tight now now it started out as a kind of a small community. You say uh, how big did it eventually get? Is it is it still a small community? Uh, no, uh, it started, of course, as as a little telecommunity, and uh, but eventually it it began to have more users, both uh, a modem. So we started to communicate uh, each other more often, and this BBS scenes in in in, in Lima had a, a key role in the telecommunication in Peru because many years later, when RCP agency. Uh, that's the Red Scientifica Peruana. They bring internet connection to Peru. They, of course, started uh, working with modems, but they had already a, a, com- a telecommunity user with modems you know, to bring their, their service of internet connections. But, of course, that community was the community we promoted from the start. So the existing base of modem users actually helped uh, the internet get a foothold up there. When I when I when I talked about the size of the community, it was 200, 300 of users. It was in the early 18s. No? Mm-hmm. Of course, then then it was about maybe 1,000. No, no, okay, no, no, it's not, not it's not a huge community like in Europe, no. But but it was like a, an ecosystem here in 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 our country, no. And uh, all was interconnected, no? BBS, the computer scene, the coding scene. Wow. So you actually pioneered in the, in the early internet days too. Yeah, I, I think that uh, it's right because, uh, as I told you, all the early telecommunity started because uh, we all together pushed the, the, the idea to, to have a modem. I remember many many users, they didn't have interest to buy, to buy a modem because it was uh, not necessary. It was just for fun. <laughs> why, and why buy a modem if, if we knew each other uh, and we every week we meet in the house of someone and maybe, uh, and maybe the user just got to a, a game seller to get games. So there was not something that pushed the, the, the people to to buy modems, but the only thing that I think was the main interest that people developed to, to get a modem was, for example, to exchange software, to download software from the BBS. When my group released no, new stuff, we released it from the BBS. So this community began to to grow, no? to grow and grow. And uh, of course, when RCP, they started to bring the internet connection no? service no? to people, they already have a node people no? No? To, 
Right, so there's already an established user base that has the equipment necessary, so it's not like they have to sell it to the, to the people because it's already somebody yep. to to pitch the, it to. Uh, uh, yes, and and uh, and that uh, explains why the BBS scene began to to die. RCP they began to grow the internet service in 1904. Now, are there any BBSs? Because there's some. Uh, I know that there are a bunch of BBSs that are currently on the internet. You access them through TCP or or something like that. Yes. Are any uh, are any of those uh, uh, Peruvian or, or South American BBSs connected or still running that way, or are they all gone now? No, I, I don't know. T- well, in Peru, I don't think there is uh, some BBS running from Telnet. Or, hmm. But uh, when I remember the bulletin board service and I. And I tell this to other people. They, it's hard to believe the people, no? How these small computers uh, manage to to have bulletin boards and uh, downloads and, uh, and and little games, no? And when I told them that we coded it, no, <laughs> they just uh, don't believe it. Uh, it's it's a new generation that can't understand how things started. Well, this is why we are doing those interviews and record them. So it's. It's safe for history, so people can still get the stories because it's very interesting. And I think it's also a good, uh, good comparison in that you know, in the '80s, and, and 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 even even more so than than in in the U.S. Because here we had again, you know, users groups, and they turned into this and that. But mm. but now, currently, you have a generation of of consumers and users. You know, they 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 get a product and they use it, but they don't do anything with it. Whereas Back then, yes. you know, you guys were getting the equipment and you were making your own BBSs and you were cracking these games to redistribute and you were doing all this stuff, not just using, you know, not just getting something and using it. You were really kind of, kind of yes. inventing it as you went along. I, I yes, and uh, actually, I, I see that uh, many users, no, and many childs just use a computer to chat or, or download uh, or listen into music, and they don't use, uh, they don't explore, no, right. uh, the more futures that uh, the computer can can. And I, I, I am I am now remembering when uh, <laughs> when I saw a future called um, the word wrap, no, when you type, no, in a mm-hmm. chat, and the last word, okay. When I coded it in uh, my bulletin board service, no, <laughs> so I, I added the word wrap and, uh, and 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 every day it was a new future, no. I was adding and adding, and all this experience opened my mind to see how organize a project, how to manage a, a a group, and all this helped me in my own work. Right. right. Uh, sometimes I talk to other people's uh, new programmers of this new generation. And uh, it's sad to to see that they just use frameworks or libraries, and 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 as you and as you said, they just use a function, a method, and they don't know how it works at at low level. Right, right. And even even users now. I mean, if something, I, I remember when I was you know when I was younger, when I was using a a, a C64 uh, regularly, if I would get a piece of software you know, like a word processor or something like that, and I was trying to use it, and I didn't like something about it. My first reaction was, well, how do I fix it? You know, if there was something, if there was a feature I didn't like, or if there was something that I wanted it to do and it didn't, my my first thought was, well, what can I do? And I would try to always break into the program and see if I could alter it or do anything like that. Whereas now, if 
if there's if someone gets some software and it doesn't do what they want it to do, their first response is, "Well, I'll just complain about it," you know, or <laughs> I'll, I'll file a you know, yeah. I'll, I'll file a report or something to get it fixed. And a back it's, report, it's, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. It's a totally different different culture, I think, of um, well, kind of a lack of innovation. Even you, you like you mentioned, the programmers today are using frameworks that have been established for however many years, and they don't even really understand how it works. They're just kind of copying and pasting it into the the into their code to you know make it do whatever so it's not there's not even really innovation in that manner you know it's it's and i think it's you know you see um software from year to year is updated into different versions and it might look different but ultimately a lot of the the core technology stays the same is they they stick some new graphics on it or you know some new logos or 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 icons or something and hey it's a new version but but there's if you you know microsoft word from 2008 and from 2011 or you know i don't know what what actual years they came out with it there's not they look different but the functionality isn't much different at all yeah, of course. No one's saying. No one there is saying. What else can we make this do? Or, or you know, in in what way can we really kind of, you know, and and if I see it and it doesn't do what I want, I'm just like, oh, it doesn't do what I want. There's no. I don't think about like how do I fix this? How do I make it do what I want anymore? Which no, also you can't a, because it's getting more complex. Right, right. Yes. Which is kind of a shame, you know, because it's it's that that really was what kind of drove innovation. Was I? Yeah, I, I think that I think that. Uh, our generation had luck to be in the 18s, no? because the 18s is, uh, I think, is the best uh, era of the computer. No, when when it was uh, 17, of course, it was more complex. It it required electronic skills, and mm-hmm. and, and and it was very complex to to use computers. No, from from the 19s, no, uh, until now, uh, it is the era of frameworks, libraries, and. and uh, more oriented to, co- to customers, users, no? that they just use the computer and don't even need to to know how it works. But the 18th is just the, the decade, the, the years of any 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 user can get a, a, a tiny computer and and start to learn to code and optimize it and, and uh, with constraint with 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 a little resource of memory and and the CPU. Right, and everything uh, you needed came right with it. You turned on a Commodore 64, you were in BASIC. So it's like you didn't need to get a, a compiler or, or a special coding environment or anything. It was right there. You just turned it on and went. Yeah, I think that one of the key features that, that the Commodore 64 had was its poor BASIC. No? Mm-hmm. Because other computers, other computers had, uh, of course, better BASIC, you know, on the Commodore 64, because it had not fun, you know, basic functions for graphics and music and sounds, they had to code it with pokes at, at basic. And uh, mm-hmm. to poke is the same to code in assembler. No? So it was very natural to shift from basic to assembler code. Right. Uh, that was, I think, that main uh, key that allowed the, the programmers to do better things on the Commodore 64. It was really uh, you. You were forced to think outside of of they would they would come. It came with the well, mine didn't, but you could get the programmer's reference manual, which is I got sitting somewhere around here. But it gives you you know some basic stuff, and 
you look at it and there were certain things that, like you said, you just couldn't do with it. So it was always a matter of, well, how do I get around that? What do I, what do I do to, to, to fix that? And so you, you know, you, you muck around with it and you learn different things and that's ended up, that's, and it had that expandability in that you could find a way around it. I always thought of the, the Commodore Basic is is almost a little bit sloppy. Like there's lots of little things that it's not supposed to do that it does that people <laughs> figured out. Yes, which is uh, really a cool thing about it. Um, yes, one of the things I also remember uh, has good memories. No, is is uh, the Commodore 64 user guide. It was a really really outstanding uh, manual, no user manual because. It teaches you from the start, no, how to connect your new computer, and uh, the last page, <laughs> and the last, at the last page, you even have a memory map of the computer and and uh, all the mnemonics, no, mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, how to make sprites and how to make music, no, and uh, it was a very interesting and complex manual, no, in few pages. Right. And now when you and and now when you can, you buy a computer, <laughs> no, uh, it's got nothing. Oh, of, of my my my, my Mac nothing. my Mac came with no manuals. It was just like, yeah. here's the computer, and, and, turn it on. Yes, of course. Now now the idea is that manuals are online or PDF format. I hate PDF. No, I hate I I hate to to read no things on the. The computer monitor because uh, get a Kindle. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> in uh, 2000, I when I was developing video games on Windows uh, with uh, DirectX, I I remember remember to buy the Visual C from Microsoft, the original, uh, 215 dollars, not costed me, but I bought it not only for the license because. I also wanted the manual, the the, the, the programming manual with all the, the functions. So I was very happy when I get the the box because the weight was was about two kilos, three kilos. <laughs> and and when and when I when when I opened it in my house, I found four CDs and three kilos of posters and uh, ads from Microsoft. No more, no? Oh. and all and all the and all the technical stuff was was on uh, on files on PDF and uh, and CHTML. Uh, well. <laughs> yeah. So... Ah, but but but, but uh, the interesting thing is that when I bought the Blitz Basic for Amiga, just sixteen dollars, it came with a with a user guide, very very nice, uh, full of technical stuff. So. I see the difference when you are when you are a developer or publisher, uh, a mid-range publisher, no, against a, a huge company like Microsoft that they just sell something uh, more expensive. But I feel like I receive less stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So what I wonder is. Why is there so little stuff online on CSDB and so on from the Peruvian time? There should be more of it. If you say there were like uh, 500,000 people in the later times. No, oh, he said 1,000, I thought. 1,000. Yeah, yeah. No, there should be but, more but, stuff. But that was in the, in, the, in the 90s, early 90s. Of course, now there is uh, millions. 
of users. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I just mean, um, I just mean you should preserve the software and the programs and the BBS stuff ah, that you just. Yeah. How many how many issues of Smiling Panda were there altogether? Oh, okay, uh, we release we released only five issues because the last issue that uh, English Spanish issue, no, and NTSC and PAL video support took us many months of effort, no, to to oh, get. Of course. In. Yeah. And uh, and uh, it was released on November nineteen ninety two. Yeah, um, it's it's on on CSDB on the eighth eight of November. The next year ninety three, I we were working on Smiling Panda six. I remember to have uh, yet uh, the articles, no, all the text or articles, but the scene, the Commodore sixty four scene. From middle '93, suddenly began to to die no? uh, in a quick way, and that was because of Super Nintendo and the Genesis gaming consoles began to quickly spread. People stopped, mm-hmm. stopped coding, stopped uh, their interest uh, in in the computer, no, and they began to play, play and and just play video games. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that was very. Uh, a suddenly changed, no? Uh, I had a lot of complaints. I had a lot of discussion in that time, but that's just our con- our video game consoles. No, you are not programming. You are not doing nothing. Just playing, and people replied that, yeah, but they are uh, nice games, no? better than the Commodore 64. No? <laughs> of course, yeah, <laughs> pretty much advanced. anything yeah. is better than the C64 and for people, games. Yeah, people sold many people. And to solve their their computers, huh. just uh, by no too uh, bad consoles. Yes. Also, there were in that years, no, 92, 93, began to appear many little places in in the garage in the neighborhood to play video game consoles because uh, of course the consoles are were a little expensive. Uh, then somebody just uh, bought one Super Nintendo or not, or some Genesis, put them in his garage, and uh, for some few bucks, no, uh, children could play with them for one hour. So, so you actually turned the video game consoles in la- something like an arcade, <laughs> garage <laughs> yes, arcade, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, that's right, and that was a uh, a huge phenomena here in Peru. Hmm. Thousands, thousands, and thousands of these tiny places with mini arcades with, with gaming consoles. That's an interesting concept. There was oh a lot of, of social, it sounds like, from just distributing games through just, hey, come to the cracker's house and he'll, he'll copy it onto a disc for you, or setting up these little consoles and stuff in, in a garage and charging to use it. There's a lot of, um, a lot of kind of social like like interaction that happens yes. there, and I've seen that on your on your Facebook page too. You've been putting up some videos of uh, of party videos, you know, of, of I guess you know demo parties or, or copy parties or, or however however that worked. And that's something that never, I know it's it, parties and and gatherings and stuff like that were really big in Europe, and I think they still they still are to some extent. A lot of people still go to them. There still are, yeah. Yeah, in in the U.S., it never really, it didn't catch on quite as 
Interestingly, I you know, in Europe there were always the stories of you know, you go up there for a weekend and you get completely drunk and you know, there's people passed out <laughs> under a table and That sounds like limousine parties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Whereas They're here still happening today. Yeah, whereas here in, in the US we have, you know, ECCC and a couple of other little kind of parties that that they get to but when you actually look at it it's really just you know a bunch of guys standing around looking at some stuff and sometimes someone will do a presentation it's really again it's more formalized into this kind of uh user group sort of experience rather than and 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 i always used to you know make the joke that that I would be a horrible embarrassment at any of these parties because I'd be out. I'd be the one that's being like, drink, you know, with a bottle of vodka trying to get everyone to do something stupid. But I'm wondering how that, how that progressed because obviously there, there was a lot of background to the kind of face to face sort of thing, you know, again, with going to a cracker's house to get your copy of the, of the software that he just released or, or something. So how, what just happened by the post, you, by the postal service, nobody would dare to go to somebody's house. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Officially pirate software. Right. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. If, if we were to to advertise something like that here in the U.S., the first person that would be at the door would be you know the the police. <laughs> they'd be the they'd be the first one to your house. Yes. So I'm wondering how the parties uh, how did they evolve? What kind of you know what? What sort of parties were they, and and what was the situation with them? Were they were they more like the European model, where people were you know being silly and and having fun and coding demos, or were they more like the U.S. model, where it's kind of like a you know a presentation of like, well, this is some software that we can use to do this, and you know how, how did that kind of the 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 first parties uh, held in Lima uh, were organized by by our group. The, the first one was uh, in 28, 29 December of uh, 91. The main purpose was uh, just to allow people to copy all the the releases our group uh, had. New stuff we imported no? with the intros. Uh, of course, it was about, uh, yeah, it was two days, f- uh, 48 uh, hours. Uh, we also did some coding in the morning, in early morning. Uh, I remember another group, uh, Hawkins from the Tiger Force, another Commodore 64 group. He was just coding a new intro no, for, uh, for, the, for, for them. The first time attended about 60 people. Wow. Uh, 60 That's people. quite big for the first time. Uh, yeah, yes, and um, unfortunately, I have no no photos nor videos of the of that event, but I have videos from other parties we held in '93 and '94. But uh, in these parties, they were multi-platform, not only 64. Uh, I think that were a meeting where people could socialize, knew each other, uh, exchange software, and as you said. They could also uh, teach how to use a software, uh, also uh, about programming, uh, st- programming stuff, techniques. There were some people that they were they were developing video games. Uh, so also we were talking about these projects. The last party we held 
was the retro party uh, in 2002. It was uh, just a meeting where we showed all the computers, no? Aquarius computer from Mattel, uh, Spectrums, Commodores, Amiga, PC, Apple, Atari, no? uh, also gaming consoles, no? uh, like the Nintendo Virtua Boy. No? But it was up to promote all the computer thing, uh, to allow new people, new users to know how was the old computers. No? Now, in Lima, there is jams, no? there are game jams. Each year, no? there is a game jam where people uh, attend to to code the games. No? But this is another story because it's another scene, it's a new scene with Android, iOS, and other mobile programming. Uh, of course, there are now uh, about uh, 20 little groups developing video games, but uh, that's another thing, a modern thing. You told me, and it's also on Facebook, that you are starting now to to reorganize and to gain people again to return to the old times and get people interested in the old Peruvian, uh, let's see, meeting, demo, gaming scene again. How, how about that? Because you told me uh, last week in a Facebook chat that actually my visit of your home for three weeks last year, it actually kind of motivated you to restart <laughs> it all again. Tell us yes. more about that. Yes, that's right. When you visited Lima, Peru, no? and was in my home three weeks, and we were talking about uh, all the good days no? of Commodore 64, I, I, no, I, I, I thought that that uh, would be interesting to try to bring back the people uh, at least to to remember, no, uh, they young days with uh, with the 64. I opened a, a group in Facebook, Commodore 64 Amiga group. Now we are about uh, 100 of users, no. What and, is it uh, called? Ah, C64 slash Amiga Peru, and uh, in the in that group, uh, of course. Uh, Join it, uh, Satan, Spunk. Uh, Spunk was a member of uh, Twin Eagles group. Uh, uh, also, is uh, is there Rumble Games? No. <laughs> uh, I think that no matter if we were enemies or not, no, no. Now it's just uh, a remember of all the the thing, and uh, and slowly we are getting in contact with other people, no, that uh, have Commodore 64. And uh, the idea is to next year to do a, a meeting. Uh, I don't know if maybe a, a retro party again, or at least to start with a meeting. No? To... And is this for the purposes of just kind of uh, kind of nostalgia, just sitting back and reminiscing, or are you trying to uh, almost like revitalize things and kind of bring the scene back to where new, like, new, stuff, new stuff will be produced? To... I don't think that is. Uh... I don't think that people uh, will have time to to code again on Commodore 64. That's because in Peru there is little time, maybe for hobbies, no? Because people is go is more after thinking about their works, their jobs, and uh, are more are more worried about uh, to earn money. And and that be, and that because the problem in Peru is that every five years when there are new 
presidential elections, no? It's not very, uh, it's unsecure. So we don't know what can happen in the next period. Uh, there, is, there is no st uh, stability, no? Uh, economical and uh, political stability, no? Uh, so uh, in the last, in the last uh, 10 years uh, or 15 years, of course, is more stable the economy no, of of the country. But unfortunately, every five years, you don't know what can happen, and th and this leads to to the people to think in other ways to to earn money, to make money, and uh, few time for for some hobby. Uh, also, uh, well, well, Peru is um, I think is in the last study case it it is ranked one of the last countries in uh, in latin america for reading books no? people reading books no? people doesn't read books children have in the college no? in the schools have uh, low compre low, low compression no? reading reading and this scenery doesn't allow to 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 have hobbies or, or this no, sort of things. No, it's not uh, a generalized problem, but about uh, 16, 17 percent of the of the of the people no, in the country no, have this have this problem. No? Hmm. So the new the, the new generation, uh, I don't think how I don't know how good will be when they will grow. No. Right, they don't have the oh, skill set no. required to ah, kind of yes. do this. <laughs> In the TV shows, no uh, programs for TVs, it's it's one of the worst in the world, I think. Uh, all the television in Peru, it's with uh, it's it's filled with reality shows, stupid stupid reality show. That oh well, yeah, that's. <laughs> oh, come come oh. to the U.S. That's all we got. That's yeah. all Big we have. It's the worst thing no, ever. And no, 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 <sighs> no documentals, uh, no programs relating to scenes, no, to promote scenes or other. Of course, of course, la, uh, that people may may choose other programs to see uh, from the cable TV, but cable TV is uh, is not so popular. Because it it has a it's expensive service, no? Well, what what I saw in Peru actually was the good thing is you have English for almost all channels, so I didn't have a problem to understand the Peruvian cable TV shows. Uh. <laughs> so I was just switched to English, like woo! I can I can watch television in Peru, no problem about that. That's a bigger of a problem here in Germany. Everything is German over here. But anyway, anyway, um, as you try now to remember the old times, are there any plans that you upload the stuff on CSDB or something? Because I really think after this interview, a lot of people would say, where is that proven stuff? I want to see it. Uh, the only stuff I managed to rescue uh, was the, the five issues of Smiley Panda, many of our intros. There are some demos we developed, but um, some of them doesn't run on uh, emulators. Uh, just hang up. Maybe, ah, maybe anyway, 
Anyway, yeah, okay. there are still but many people having the original hardware. That, that shouldn't be the reason to not put it out. If yeah. anybody uh, has the yes, original, yeah. if anyone has some of this stuff. But <laughs> oh, of course. I, I, know, I know that. No? Yeah. Uh, but uh, I remember years ago when I, I managed to transfer, to transfer uh, all the programs from, from diskettes. No? Many of these uh, floppy disks uh, were damaged and didn't read no, in the in the drives. No, so uh, I have the uh, the disks. No, uh, but uh, I did I couldn't manage to to transfer them. No, to rescue the the files. No? Uh, too bad. Uh, also, I have uh, the source uh, of many of the bulletin board service. No, uh, also I have the source of the the hackers, the Commodore Knights, even of the Phoenix BBS. No. But uh, uh, ah, and my Commodore 64, no, my Commodore 128, uh, broken three or four years uh, ago, mm. and uh, I I have no way to fix it, so it's a bit difficult, no, to 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 get the data, no. Ah, uh, well, you could get it off of eBay, a new a new yeah. new computer. Yeah. That's not really a big deal. I mean, most most sellers would ship to Peru. Um, yeah, maybe uh, one of the idea of the meeting we surely will have of the Commodore 64 and Amiga people, no, here in Lima, is uh, to see how many people maybe want to to have a real 64 or to fix it and buy the the chips needed or or motherboards from eBay and. So you are really planning on that because it, the stuff really has to be out there. I think seriously. Um, uh, all right. uh, also, you you must remember that our group was on the 64 scene uh, from early from March 89 to 94, and then we stopped the developing for the Commodore 64 and switched to Amiga, and then to Windows. So, so the group was working until uh, 2007. I see, I see. Um, so you really should tell me when you are planning to make this meeting next year. Be uh, no, sorry, as you said, next year? Uh, yeah, next year, 2015. Will it, will it be later in the year or the early days? Uh, What's your plan, I, actually? I, I guess maybe it will be at the middle of the year. Maybe, maybe, maybe I can come again to Peru. I don't know. Ah. <laughs> you should tell me. We should talk about that. Because I know I remember last year our common friend Victor. He told me maybe we can meet some people, but he said it's very difficult. So, yeah, it's very difficult. Yes, uh, because people have uh, little time, no, and, and they yeah, seeing stuff isn't a priority anymore for a lot of people. But uh, now there is a a growing interest for the past of the Peter Sim. In, uh, in Peru, uh, especially in the video game developing scene. So, as I told you before, uh, there are 20 groups around doing games for mobile, but they all are interested to know uh, how evolved the video game developing scene. And of course, our group, Twin Eagles, had a key role in developing all this we released it uh, in in 98 
a video game for Amiga called Gambi F99. And it was the first video game developed in Peru to be uh, published uh, in other countries. And, uh, and later, in 2002, we developed The King of Peru 2, no? uh, a fighting video game with politician characters. And uh, we sold it in CD-ROM for Windows. It was also the first video game to be published locally, you know, in retail stores. No? Oh yes, you even have a yeah, we even have a Facebook page about that. Facebook.com dash King of Peru. Well there's actually a website for King of Peru. I I, I saw that. Um and I was gonna actually bring that up. Yes, you, you made a successor, King of Peru too. Yeah, uh, of course uh, Twin Eagles released other freeware games, but the main productions were the Gambia F ninety nine, the King of Peru, and later the Samba Daruga. It was a, a Tetris like with uh, erotic uh, image of Oruga Loca, our girl member. <laughs> um, uh, and, and we also did uh, two retro games, Frogger Mambo, uh, based on Frogger from Sega, for two players at the same time, and uh, Dog Days Revolution, uh, a remake of Dog Days from Atari computers, uh, uh, a funny game of two dogs, <laughs> competing to get the more hydrants. No? Well, I should mention here that I know Victor and Lapsang Alvitas, I know them since 10 years. And that in the first email conversations between me and Lapsang, Lapsang told me about this Tetris game and he said, do you want to buy a copy because it has a free condom? Yes, yes, yes. The Samba de Uruga, uh, that game, Inside a jewel case, there is a, a condom, and uh, that's the protection of the game. Yeah. <laughs> true stories. True story. I still have those that, emails. That's uh, the, the, copy prote- the copy protection, or, or the, the clone, the ADN clone protection. <laughs> Human copy protection, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amazing, yeah. Both games, The King of Peru 2 and uh, Samba Doruga were published on CD-ROMs, on the printed CD-ROMs, no? original CD-ROMs. Yeah, we should mention our homepage. It's uh, tegperu.org. Ah, that's the old page. Oh, it's like new, a... Ron? No, 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 no. no. Uh, it's the old page because uh, it's not, uh, it has no news. Uh, it's like a museum now. Uh, all the new stuff we are talking is on Facebook page. But but if you want to look at the history and on the King of Peru 2 full game, because that entry is from July 2014, that's the homepage I just mentioned. Now, sometimes I, I give some conference about the story of uh, Twin Eagles and the story, the history of uh, video games in Peru. As I told you, th- there is... Uh, a huge interest to know how things evolved in our country. Yeah, and, and the, uh, you even mentioned there were some scientific, social scientific works, and one of them is Developing Game Worlds, Gaming Technology Innovation in Peru by Eduardo Mariska Alvarez, and it's actually, it has been published in, in June 2014 for the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. So it's pretty, pretty recent. Peer-reviewed. Yeah, 
he reviewed and, and the, how evolved the, 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 the economic scene, political scene, and the video game scene, how all was tired in that uh, era. And, uh, and Tunigal's group had a role, a key role in that uh, no, years with uh, the parties, uh, with uh, the magazines, with the bulletin boards. As you told uh, before, it was uh, like, it was a very social community. Also, there, there, there is, uh, there is a, another story which involved Twin Eagles. At some point of uh, 19th, I was doing with other people here in Lima, hackings of uh, video games of uh, in consoles in Super Nintendo mainly and uh, okay it was it was it was like a secondary group we never used uh, our logo from Tunigles was like a, another group because we never wanted people new or or get involved in our group because thinking in the future i was worried that many people called uh, think badly that when we release uh, games, maybe will be hacked games, no? Mm. But but this isn't something specifically unique because a lot of groups had that sort of um, uh, like a secret group that they would use to release things that they didn't want to be associated with. That's why it was managed like uh, like another group. Some of these games were very popular. Uh, were soccer soccer games mainly. Like there is. There is a hack game, maybe you know, that's uh, Sonic for Super Nintendo. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. I have some uh, of those. I yeah, bought it, some of those from eBay. The first, yeah, the first one, the Sonic 4, uh, it, wa- it is based on the Speedy Gonzalez games. And uh, I made uh, the graphics animation together with uh, Alex Mena. So so you were even involved in the video game business kind of cracking thing. Yeah. <laughs> even though you didn't like it because it was driving people away from the Commodore and the uh, <laughs> user yeah. groups. Uh-huh. Yes, that's why in that years I never uh, I preferred to to manage the things separately. Nobody knew that I was also participating in that hacks and that in the in 2000 that changed it because because uh, there were two hacked games, one of them in PlayStation, another uh, winning 11. Uh, we put uh, local soccer teams in the games, and uh, at one point somebody used one of the logos we used in the Windows releases. So pe- so users began to realize that Tunigal Group was involved. In, ah, I see. In, in, I see. In, 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 in the old hacks, from the 90s. No? <laughs> also, my cat was named uh, Mirfusila, and uh, in, in some of the hacked games in the 90s, <laughs> we put uh, Mirfusoft in relation to Mirfusila. No? I so, see. Th- th- there were little, uh, you know, little, little Easter uh, eggs and hints. Yeah, and, and that, I mentioned this because when we released The King of Peru 2, of course, it was done like a parody of the King of Fighters, used the same logo. Uh, it was an intentional parody, but all the game was developed by me in uh, C language. But uh, some people uh, thought that uh, it was uh, just a hacked game. And, uh, ah, because, yeah. 
Yeah, because they remember that I was also involved yeah. in hacked games. So. Stereotype, But, prejudgment, all happening, all happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and we should mention this this other work of Eduardo you were just mentioning is the networks are out there building cultural and economic resilience through informal communities of practice. Oh my God, what a long title. And we'll include links to both of these peer-reviewed articles in the podcast description. Yeah, yeah. And I, I read through it and I have to admit that those gaming jams are totally inspiring and they remember me a bit of the demo scene parties that we have, have here in Germany and Europe. It seems to be similar because in the report it's described um, that there are young people and older people and even those without any experience in developing games, they are meeting to be creative for a weekend. So tell us more about that. Yeah. Um, in the last two years, uh, thanks to frameworks like Unity and other, and other frameworks, many people got interested to, to develop games. And so uh, started to, to, to do jams, game jams. And each year there are more people involved with it, participating in these jams. Also, uh, there is EGDA in Peru. Uh, they organized it. And there is a company called uh, Bamtam Games. They are, re they are releasing games for Cartoon Network, but uh, they just released a game For PS Vita. When Bamtown started in 2002 or 2003, it, uh, they, were, they have a very difficult time for a few years until they got a contract with Cartoon Networks to do games for them. But meanwhile, Twinigal Group in that uh, era, we released The King of Peru, an indie game for Windows. But uh, we have a problem with the game. The, the Peruvian publisher, Micronix, they cheated us. With oh, the seriously? Hmm. Yeah, with, with the sales of the game. They sold uh, all the game, all the copies, and never paid uh, us uh, the royalties. So I had to sue them. Mm. Lasted, lasted 12 years. Ooh. From 2002 until this year, and that badly hurted our group. That's why Twin Eagles uh, began to dissolve members left the group because they they felt bad after working so many months in a project and and to see how a, a Peruvian company cheats <laughs> a, 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 a Peruvian developers no? it's that would be very discouraging are those game games still for sale no 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 uh, the king of peru now is freely to download uh, and the tetris uh, game The Samba Daruga, no, it's not yet freely to download, but in the next month uh, I will update it and ah. release it. The King of Peru also is an updated version of the game because the game didn't work for Windows 7 or nor 8. That is why you call it King of Peru 2, actually. Yes, I updated it to work the latest system ah. and, add, and added some new stuff. Ah. Extended like, version. Yeah, like, yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, while Twin Eagles was closing its activities, Bamtam began to, to get involved in games. Uh, 
they had a, a very slow and difficult start, but now uh, they are stable. And I think it's, it's the, the most, uh, it's a leading company here in Lima. Did you at least won your lawsuit? Did you win it? Ah, yes, yeah, yes. The, I won the suit after 12 years. Huh? Yeah, uh, legal, legal stuff here is very slow. <laughs> well, it's not different in Germany. Things can take 10 years or longer. Yes. That's not really, that's not really uncommon, you know. So yes, now that this is resolved, are you planning to continue or? The group, after the, we released the, our last game for Windows, that was Dog Days Revolution, we stopped doing games for Windows and moved to the Java Micro Edition platform. And we were the first ones to develop video games for mobile. Uh, we started in 2004 and lasted to 2007. We released uh, games for Java Micro Edition. The games were sold by T-Mobile operator, O2, and also was available from Motorola of Australia. Sadly, the contracts we had with them, they required to develop uh, more games, about eight games, eight games for year, mm. and uh, we didn't have a node uh, programmers or people uh, specialized in video games development. We lost the contract because uh, lack of uh, support. Uh, I tried to to teach programmers to do games on, uh, on Java Micro-Edition, but uh, they didn't can handle handle it. That is also what what this, what this and document then, mentioned. And okay, the lack and of then, good coders. Th yeah, then from 2007, uh, the group dissolved. I started uh, to work for a company, but last year I was contacted from uh, many people interested in to know the history no, of, the, of video game development, the history of uh, Twin Eagles, and uh, I began to feel again an interest in the video game development scene in Peru. I would like to, to do a new game. I am thinking about it, and maybe in the next year, uh, I will organize again uh, the group to release something. But oh, yeah. uh, so that would be awesome. That would be very cool. Yeah, well, it's it's so interesting. It's so interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of different facets to this. and uh, it, I mean, is there anything that we haven't covered in, through this? Uh, I, there are lots of things, but to talk about them uh, is very complex, no? <laughs> right, yeah, it's a very... And, and it, will, it will take too much time, no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really, really complicated, in-depth whole thing, you know, and we're not really doing it too much justice in that. We're, you know, focusing kind of on an entire scene and, and trying to get the... Uh... Uh, about, the about the scene, about the, 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 the Commodore scene in Latin America, I, I should mention that, of course... Twin Eagles was not the only group in Latin America. No, uh, in Mexico there was a, a a group called the Destructor de Trucos (DDT), and also there were uh, other groups uh, in Costa Rica, in Argentina. Uh, mainly there were uh, importer groups, no, or, or, or crackers, but coding groups. Uh, I think mainly was uh, Destructor de Trucos in Mexico and uh, Twin Eagles in Peru. 
Did they also do C64 stuff in Mexico? I don't know. I, I can't remember if... Uh, so I remember to have swapped with them uh, tools they, they did, but I don't remember to have seen Mexican uh, games or other things other than intros or demo from them. But the, this magazine, Smiling Panda, I think is the only this magazine no? in the 64th uh, Latin American scene. Great, great. Okay, and the main page, again, the, uh, the, the tegperu.org, that's kind of a museum page that's not being updated anymore so that people can kind of look at that. And yeah, the main... yeah, the tegperu.org is mainly like a museum, no? but on Facebook, people can find uh, can search for tegperu. And again, we'll link to all these sites in the podcast description. Put it, we put it on the podcast page, so we can simply click on those pages and read the PDF documents. And, and we will we'll get the word out there, definitely. We, we, we surely have to tell the people about that. And if you do a meeting, I hope you do a meeting also in 2016 in case I can't come to Peru next year. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. So, okay. um, so you, are you planning to make those meetings yearly? Actually, uh, I don't know if uh, if we can manage it each year. No? Uh, it it all depends from the interest of the users. Oh no? yes. Oh, I hope I hope the internet will be big. Of course, uh, there there is it's more easy, no, for social network on live uh, during a meeting yeah. or a party. But uh, back then, no, it was very difficult. No? <laughs> It's really good that you're trying to get this on and I really wish you good luck with with recreating your twin twin eagles group. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much and uh, I will uh, and I will get in contact with you if we manage to get uh, a new party in the next year. Huh? Yes, yes. Uh, the interesting thing about this conversation here we are having right now is that when I was telling people that there was a retro scene, a C64 scene in Peru, and that I'm going to, to Peru, people were, were all like stereotyped, like, ah, oh, do they have hospitals? Do they have internet? <laughs> Are they advanced? So it's really interesting to see. I mean, I was in Peru last year, and it's really interesting to talk to somebody that push this technology advantage forward because you got that idea while living in Italy. Uh -huh, thank so you. You, so you, imported, you imported the technology ad advantage into your destination country, Peru, yeah, in at, this case. At, at least the idea of the Commodore 64 thing. And we and all started with, with that, <sighs> together with the bulletin board thing. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. So thank you. And oh, thank you. Thank you for yeah, the interview. Yeah, yeah. And again, the website for the Twin Eagles group is tegperu.org. But that's uh, that's not being updated anymore. That's just a museum page for now. So for anything new, you're going to want to look at their Facebook page, which you can find at facebook.com slash tegperu, or just do a Facebook search for Twin Eagles group. You can listen to more podcasts or watch interviews and other fun stuff at sceneworld.org. And, and please feel free to comment uh, about this podcast or other things, uh, either through there or through email to us at podcast at sceneworld.org. York has a website over at nafcom.eu, and you can find me at justwestofhell.com. Uh, for York, this is AJ, and uh, we'll see you next time.